Uranium as the highest form of sorcery that is being practiced on our, on our planet today. And Lord, may you just fortify our minds as we go through this presentation and we even look at these clips and just tiny little snippets from Hollywood, Lord. May it not entice anyone in this room to go and see these films, but to see the truth behind them. Amen. And so, Lord, I just, I just pray for your protection. Uh, send a legion of angels right now to camp around this company of your believers to ward off those spirits that are here that wish to deceive us and to keep us in the dark. So, Lord, I, I ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. We love you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So this is the first uh, part of a three-part series I'm titling Modern Medium. And so we're going to look at the effects of Hollywood on the mind, and then we're going to go through and, and see how this business really is modern-day sorcery. And the more we've looked at it, you know, yesterday we looked at how God is wanting to incorporate us into His family and to co-labor with us as farmers. Amen. Spreading the seed of the Word. And we know that there's an enemy that is here that is also spreading His seeds and His thoughts. But His, remember, are not like God's seeds and He doesn't operate like God. It's a genetically modified seed that Satan is planting. It's been altered, right? right? So that it can be planted in the mind and poison can be sprayed on it and it won't die. So these things get in our minds and I believe, seriously, from my own personal experience, my brother and I, we were raised Adventist and it was while going to PUC that we went away from God. Because we were... And that's, I'm not saying that's, it was PUC. It was because we were focusing on the things of the world. Our church became the theater. We were at the theater every week, and we were watching every movie coming out. My brother and I, we were addicted to movies. And that had started at a very young age when my parents divorced. I, we grew up in a divided home, and my mom left the church, and so we were able to watch whatever we wanted. My dad tried to really protect us, but when we were with mom, we could see anything, watch anything. And, and it got to the point where Scott and I were waiting until Friday until the next movie came out because we'd seen everything. We'd go to the rental store and we'd be like, man, there's nothing to rent. Because we'd seen everything. We'd go buy one ticket and then sneak into all the other movies and watch five of them. And come out like zombies, just, oh, God, what was that about? So I truly believe that that's what led me away because seeds were planted in my mind that choked out the truth. And I eventually left. But you know, I'm not, I'm not here to say that the TV or the medium is evil in and of itself, it's how it's used. And there are ways in which we're using it, right? I mean, it was a video that someone handed me that spoke to my heart. So, um, but we need to just be very careful and very wary and guard well the avenues to the soul. Amen? Because yeah. Christ, He warned His disciples that in the last days, He said, what shall be the sign of the end, right? And He said, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets to show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if they were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So He basically warned us that deception would be the order of the day. Right? 
And that we need to be aware that there's going to be people who come up and say, hey, here's Christ over here, Christ over here. That's going to just happen. And that's what's happening today, really. And um, in Revelation 18.23, talking about the fall of Babylon, it says, The merchants were the great men of the earth, for, for by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. So this deception in these last days is going to come by way of sorcery. And when you look up that word, sorcery, when, when we first saw this in, in Ivor's uh, uh, Escape from the Black Hole, this, this really got to us. This was kind of one of the pivotal points that, that uh, really helped Scotty and I decide to leave Hollywood and you know, enter back into the work of sharing the gospel. Pharmakia is the original root word there for sorcery. It's where we get our word pharmacy. Right, the use or administering of drugs, poisoning, sorcery, magical arts, often found in connection with idolatry and fostered by it. So basically anything that medicates our minds so that we cannot follow the will of God could be considered sorcery. So it goes beyond just the things that we think about when we think about sorcery, right? Witches, wizards, witchcraft and the like, which the Bible says to clearly stay away from. Right. And it goes beyond that because there's other things that can medicate our minds, right? right. Alcohol. First thing alcohol affects is your frontal lobe. Really? Yeah. It starts shutting down the frontal lobe. That's why people do things they wouldn't normally do sober. They wake up in the morning and go, what did I do? I don't know. <laughs> because their judgment is gone. Right? The frontal lobe is that seat of judgment. We're going to look at the mind here. And um, <clears throat> the, the frontal lobe is the command center of our minds. Okay? And it's, there's a third of your brain that is frontal lobe tissue. Right? Yeah. It's what separates us from the animal kingdom. There are, uh, like for instance, in a, in a cat, there's about 3.5% of the tissue in the cat's brain that's frontal lobe. And in a dog, it's about 7%. So you can see the dog has a little bit more frontal lobe tissue there. That's why a dog is Ben's best friend. <laughs> but really, this is what separates us from the animal kingdom. God has put this, a third of our brain, dedicated to frontal lobe tissue, the seat of our spirituality, our morality, and our will. This is where we make decisions for right and wrong. That's true. So the question we want to answer is, what's really taking place in the mind when we sit down and we zone out and we watch TV and we watch movies and this sort of thing? And so um, in our research, we came across this article. Um, it was an article entitled, Weapons of Mass Induction. And it was based on an excerpt from a book by Dr. Eric Sigmund called Remotely Controlled. And he's talking about here how uh, children are affected by television. But this is happening to all of us, okay? So here's what it says. It says, when ch children watch television, the frontal lobe is not doing anything. With the result that over a period of time, this part of the brain doesn't develop properly. A study in the World Federation of Neurology outlined the concerns about the impact of visual electronic media, including television, on children because of stunted frontal lobe development, which also impacts on their ability to control antisocial behavior. 
Playing and interacting with others is recommended to encourage the fibers of the frontal lobe to develop and thicken and to make stronger connections. So when we're talking about childhood development, this is where it gets, it gets really serious because basically when we're born, we're born with, with billions of brain cells and trillions of connections can be made. So the pathways haven't been formed in the mind, right? And that's what's taking place when a child is developing, those pathways are forming. That's why they're taste testing everything, right? Putting everything in their mouth. Can I eat this? Can I eat that? <laughs> and as they crawl around and they, they touch and it's tactile and they're looking in your face and this sort of thing, those pathways are forming. When you plop a little child in front of the television, all the activity stops. They go into a sedentary type of catatonic state and the frontal lobe is not functioning. Now, what happens in, in the formation of pathways, to make pathways stronger, you need to keep firing down that pathway. And each time a, a neuron fires, it lays down another layer of protein called myelin, right? You've heard of this? Yeah. The myelinating of the, of the axons in the, in the mind. And somewhere between ages six, seven, eight, um, there's a pruning that takes place in the mind. The brain releases an enzyme and it dissolves all poorly myelinated pathways. So if, the, if you haven't used it, you lose it. And that's why a child can learn virtually every language you throw at them during the time of speech acquisition because they've got the neural capacity to make all those pathways. So you can, you can learn a language later, but it takes a little time. Um, so we went and actually interviewed this doctor here, Dr. Um, Dimitri Christakis. He's in Seattle at the Children's Hospital there in Seattle. And he's focused his research on the impact of media on children. And so he's been on uh, TED Talks, CNN, you name it. He's been given these uh, warnings about exposing children to television. And so here's some of his findings. The concern I had was that uh, exposing the developing brain to the rapid sequencing of television programs, particularly baby DVDs, which are more rapidly sequenced even than normal television, uh, would precondition the mind to expect high levels of input. And that would lead to shorter attention spans later in life. Reality couldn't, if you will, keep pace with the expectations that had been created by watching too much fast-paced programming later in life. Uh, and we found just that, that the more television that babies watched before the age of three, the more likely they were to have attention problems later in life. Specifically, for each hour that they watched on a typical day uh, before the age of three, their chances of having attentional problems were increased by about 10%. So to put that another way, a baby who watched two hours of TV a day before the age of three would be 20% more likely to have attentional problems at age seven compared to a child who watched none. And we followed that initial study up by looking at what children watched, because as you might imagine, not all shows are paced the same. And if our hypothesis was right, then the more fast-paced programs they watched, the greater their risk would be of having attentional problems. And that's exactly what we found. The more fast-paced programs they watched, the higher their risk. Slow-paced programs, particularly those that took place in real time, didn't appear to increase the risk at all. So, that was part of a series of early studies uh, looking into what I call the overstimulation hypothesis, that you can overstimulate the developing brain. 
Okay? So, <clears throat> did you get all that? Yeah. So basically he's saying the more, the more television a child watches before the age of three is in direct proportion to the amount of attention deficit disorder they're going to experience wow. at age seven. Interesting. Um, so here's, here's a, a little, this is Mason, this is Scotty's little boy, and you can see how, you know, he, he's constantly moving around, and here's when his daughter was born. And the developing mind, here's, here's a little animation of the, uh, of the neural pathways in the mind, and um, here's a, a little animation of the neurons firing, and each time they fire, there's that protein sheath that's laid down over the, the axon called myelin. Um, I'm going to skip this one for sake of time. This is him at TED Talks. He's basically saying the same thing here. Um, and we found lots of articles too. Uh, here's ABC News saying too many young kids watch TV. The current generation of toddlers is already becoming the next uh, crop of couch potatoes. A uh, study issued today uh, by the Children's Hospital Medical Center of Cincinnati says that 40% of two-year-olds are watching a minimum of three hours of television a day. Um, this is all in the face of the American uh, Academy Pediatrics guidelines saying that kids under the age of two should be watch, should, shouldn't be watching TV at all. And those between two and five should be strictly limited to two hours a day. Interesting. Uh, another article here, why babies and toddlers shouldn't watch TV, um, media and children. Here's the Academy's uh, website actually uh, and their, their statement here of television and other entertainment media should be avoided for infants and children under the age of two. Um, and in France, they've actually made it illegal to, broad, to produce shows that are geared towards this age group. Wow. So in France, they don't, they don't even make television programs geared towards this age group because they've realized this research. And, uh, they, but they can't keep everything out. So American programming or whatever, you know, is broadcast in their country, they put up a big warning. That, that states, you know, speech acquisition, all these attention deficit problems uh, that take place um, when children under the age of three watch television. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.16 that know ye not that you're the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? Where does the Spirit of God dwell in the temple? In the most holy place, right? The frontal lobe is the most holy place of the temple that we all are. So that's where the Spirit of God dwells, and Satan knows that, so he's trying to turn that part off. He's trying to mess with that part of our mind so that we, don't, we can't have the ability. Right? He's trying to medicate that part of our mind so that we can't hear the will of God. Millions of Americans are so hooked on television that they fit criteria for substance abuse as defined in the official psychiatric manual according to Rutgers University psychologist and TV Free America board member Robert Kuby. Heavy TV viewers exhibit six dependency symptoms, two more than necessary to arrive at a clinical diagnosis of substance abuse. These include using TV as a sedative, indiscriminate viewing, feeling loss of control while viewing, feeling angry with oneself for watching too much, inability to stop watching, and feeling miserable when kept from watching. And I've told people, if, you, you know, if you're not believing me that this is really like a drug, try stopping cold turkey. Just turn the TV off for 
a week, two weeks, try a month, and see if you don't exhibit withdrawal type symptoms as coming off a drug. So, how is it that television is as powerful as a drug? Well, you have, uh, this is a very simplistic um, look at the, at the left and right side of the brain, right? The left side of our brain being the more analytical, critical, logical side, whereas the right side of our brain is our emotional, artistic, dreamy side. And when we intake information, like you guys are sitting there right now listening to this and looking at these slides, the information is coming into the left side of your brain and you're compartmentalizing it, you're, you're organizing it, putting it in, you know, weighing it against your past experience and saying, okay, I'm gonna put this here, yeah, I agree with that, and your mind's doing that. And then the information goes over to your right side of your brain where you take a step back and you look at the big picture and you say, okay, I believe in the great controversy, so how does Hollywood and all this stuff come into play? Well, within just a 20 to 30 seconds, two minutes to 20, 30 seconds to two minutes, the brain goes from an all brain thinking situation to predominantly right brain thinking. So the left side of your brain literally shuts down. And you are no longer analytically, critically, logically filtering the information that's coming into you through your senses. It's going into your memory pool in one big chunk. And details are lost in that. And that becomes the whole basis of subliminal and messages that are in your mind that you don't know where they're coming from or how they're, how they're affecting you. Um, when that switchover takes place, when your brain goes from all brain thinking to right brain thinking, the brain releases a rush of endorphins into your system. So you actually get, and endorphins, everybody knows what endorphins are? Yep. Right, the runner's high. Okay, you exercise and you get an, an endorphin rush. Endorphins hook up to the same receptor site in every cell in your body, that same receptor site that heroin hooks up to. So literally you get a opiate rush by sitting down and watching television. Next time when you sit down and watch television, just notice the calming, just, ah, I'm with friends, right? You kind of feel that, that calm feeling. That's, the, that's your brain releasing um, the endorphins into your system, and we become addicted to that. And so, uh, <clears throat> and with video games, it gets even, it gets even crazier because the lengths of play and the reward system and everything, um, there's a whole nother addiction that, that takes place there. Now, how many of you have heard of Roger Morneau? No. All right. A Trip into the Supernatural, he wrote a book. Yep. And so this was an interview that um, Dan Houghton and his wife actually shot before, uh, uh, a few years before Morneau died, talking about his experience almost getting involved in, in an occult. If, for those of you who don't know his personal testimony, he, um, he almost joined up with this very high society occult. Um, and, and while he was coming to this house, the, the priest was telling him all sorts of, of, of things that um, the grand master they call Satan was doing and had been doing. And so here he's talking about there was a grand council with Satan and all his angels in the 1700s to make a plan on how to ensnare people because the, they saw the age of the end coming, knowledge increasing and the, the industrial age about to break on this planet. So they had this meeting and this is what was told to Roger by this priest that there was this threefold plan. And the plan is a little bit interesting here in light of what we're talking about. So. I'll play this clip. We're going to be followed. First, they were to see to it that humans would be made to believe that Satan and his angels do not really exist. 
Now, the next thing, the, the, the three parts policy that they had adopted there, the second one was to find a way of being able to get total control of people's minds. And that would be done by taking hypnotism out of the realm of the occult and introduce it as a new science for the benefit of mankind. Now the time came when uh, Lucifer decided that he had to choose a person to initiate this thing. And uh, Franz Mesmer, which was an Austrian physician, was chosen. Because now, the priest told you all of this. Oh yeah. Okay. Because he was most capable. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> Mesmer originated a theory called animal magnetism. Later on, later on, named mesmerism. Mesmer was led by the spirits to believe. And this is what the priest said. Was led by the spirits to believe that certain persons have a magnetic influence within themselves so to speak, that would cause them to have great power over, over other persons, even to the point of placing them into a trance. The third point was what? Was to destroy the Bible without burning it. Okay. See? And what was the strategy on that? On that, um, it was very interesting. Because after the great general council, it was decided that Satan would tutor Charles Darwin personally in setting up the, uh, uh, the principles of his theories of evolution. He was tutored by Lucifer himself, Father Lucifer. And at that time, it was understood, Satan and his uh, spirit counselors understood that if a person was led to believe in the theory of evolution, it would, in his life, destroy completely the, the, the creation week of the Bible, the fall of man, and plan of redemption. And he said that every teacher of that theory is recognized by the spirits as a person of great value and receives a very special unction from Satan himself, giving great power to induce spiritual blindness, to convince and convert. Three capacities are given to those teachers of the theory. Then, that's not all. The priest says that Satan considers the teachers of the theory of evolution to be so valuable to him that in the sight of all the inhabitants of the galaxies, he assigns a retinue of bright, beautiful angels to follow the, that uh, educator all the remainder of his life. And that in the sight of the inhabitants of the galaxies is the greatest honor that he can bestow upon his workers, upon mankind. Interesting, huh? Wow. And really, that last point, that was really the death knell in my experience. Um, uh, while going to La Sierra, I was taught evolution as Biology 101. I stepped into the class, and it was... I, was, I sat there, I was like, wait a minute, did I, is, this, is this room in, on campus? Is this not part of the college? I mean, I seriously was like baffled by it. I, I had no idea that Biology 101 was going to be a straight course in evolution. And, and then I took a theory class from a bunch of the other professors there that uh, um, um, they were, were trying to make a creation evolution theory out of it. You know, well, maybe God seeded the Big Bang, you know, he just tossed that grain of rice out there and boom, the Big Bang happened. And 
God's work through, you know, the theory of evolution. Because, yeah, this, this uh, short chronology thing, this is not scientific. That's what I was told. So, I said, well, then the Bible must not be really what it says, right? It must not mean what it says. Because it says, the world was created in six days. Well, that's out. Then the fall of man and the plan of redemption, that's out too. Because there must be many pathways to God and the Bible is only one. I mean, that's really the, the mindset that I went through. And, yeah, Lord, have mercy, because we are uh, we're definitely in the last days. I mean, we, we know that this time is coming. We know that there is a great shaking that's going to happen in this church. Amen. And so we know that there's going to be, you know, these things here. It shouldn't be all that surprising to us. Um, but that second point, right? To take hypnotism out of the realm of the occult and introduce it as a new science for the benefit of mankind. How many of you have heard of how positive hypnosis is? Yes. Right? We can lose weight. We can stop, smoke. stop smoking. Right? Pain-free childbirth. I read of a guy who had open-heart surgery, no drugs. Wow. Hypnosis. Just strongly suggesting to the mind you will feel no pain. <laughs> Cracked his chest open, didn't feel anything. That's crazy. That's crazy. As powerful as a drug. So, what's happening in the brain then when we're undergoing hypnosis? Well, there's these brainwave patterns that um, the brain exhibits while we're in deep sleep, delta brainwave patterns, light sleep, theta. Awake and relaxed is the alpha uh, state. And then uh, awake and excited, the beta state. When you're reading a book, when you're having a stimulating, stimulating conversation with somebody, you're in beta. You're in the highest gear, as it were, that your brain can be in. And, and, and that's where we want to really be. Alpha is a natural brainwave pattern. It happens naturally. But to be forced into this brainwave pattern is where it gets a bit dicey. So um, alpha is the state that uh, mystics and meditation and yoga and everything, that's what they're trying to achieve is alpha. Okay? That's what's happening when you undergo hypnosis. You go into alpha. The brain is exhibiting predominantly uh, alpha brainwave pattern. So, hypnosis. It's interesting that the term itself comes from the name Hypnos, the ancient god of dreams. Uh, Hypnos was the Greek and Roman god of sleep, and from his name is derived the term hypnosis. Uh, Hypnos had a twin named Thanatos, the personification of death. So, Hypnos and Thanatos lived in the underworld. This was the ancient uh, myth. Um, so, it even has an occult uh, origin, just the name itself. Um, and hypnosis is defined as a heightened state of suggestibility, such that the suggestions given are accepted as being true and affect the beliefs, habits, perceptions, and behaviors of an individual in varying degrees according to the depth of hypnosis established. Interesting. The Bible tells us, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, that all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So, basically, when you say, I, I can't stop smoking, I'm going to go over here to the hypnotherapist. Hypnotherapist, please strongly suggest in my mind why I shouldn't smoke or do whatever you do. Uh, I'm going to give my will over to you wow. to make that decision for me. Because the Bible's very clear who should we give our will to. It's God. It's the, if, if we have a problem with sin, He's the one that's going to help Amen. us. We, I mean, going to th this sort of thing is, is not going to help. Um, and it's... Uh, there's a... Um, well, I'll leave that for later. Okay. So, 
Here's a quote from Jimi Hendrix that I, I found interesting talking about music. Uh, we're, he says, we're making our music into electric church music, a new kind of Bible. Wow. A Bible you carry around in your hearts, one that will give you a physical feeling. We try to make our music so loose and hard-hitting that it hits your soul hard enough to make it open. We want them to realize that our music is just as spiritual as going to church. Wow. These guys take it seriously. Uh, I read an article by uh, uh, Simmons, you know, the um, KISS, um, Gene Simmons, where he talked about the stage is holy ground, and what we're performing is electric church. Use this almost the same same thing here. I mean, that's 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 they they, they realize the power that they are wielding. He goes on to say um, that you can hypnotize people with music, and when you get them at their weakest point, the point of greatest suggestibility, you can preach into their subconscious what you want to say. Wow. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Edward Bernays? All right? A couple of you, okay? Well, that fact right there just proves his point. And if you listen to this quote here, it's kind of interesting. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. So it's not, who you see, it's not who you see, it's who you don't see that's really in control. And look at what he says there. He says the, the, the conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element to democratic society. This is how it's been going for a while now. He says, we are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we've never heard of. This is a logical result of the way in which our democratic society is organized. Edward Bernays is, was Sigmund Freud's nephew. Everyone knows who Sigmund Freud is, right? And he was the first guy to take his uncle's findings about what you know, makes man do this and that and apply them to the masses. He, he showed American corporations how to sell products based upon want and not need. We must, be, we must get Americans to desire things they don't need and to desire the new one before the old one's entirely consumed. That was the whole mindset, right? So this brings us to uh, subliminal advertising and messages that, we're, that uh, we're receiving that maybe we're not aware of. Right? That's what subliminal means. And this is just a simple example of a subliminal message uh, you've heard it said that sex sells. So in this picture, um, there is this, there's some sort of sexual connotation in this picture, and it's not a, not a phallic symbol, don't worry. There's simply the word written in this picture. Do you see it? Okay, a few people see it. And when I fill it in, you'll see it, and you'll always see it. Every time you see this picture, you'll see that just written in the background there, right? And see, we pick up on things like that subconsciously, but consciously we didn't see that. And the reason that sex sells is because basically the way a, a hip, hypnosis works is by attaching emotions. 
Here, I'll do it. I'll back it up. You can see it again here. So, for, an ex for example, the stop smoking thing, right? You go into a hyp hypnotherapist, and he'll put you into this altered state of consciousness, and he will uh, basically attach negative emotions. It's all emotion-driven. Negative emotions to the act of smoking in your mind. He'll just keep repeating these instructions over and over again and attaching these negative emotions to the act of smoking. Then he'll, then he'll say at the end of the thing, okay, when, you, when I snap my fingers, you're not going to remember any of this instruction that I've told you right now, but you're not going to smoke anymore and you don't remember what he just told you, but you're like, oh, okay, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. Okay, good. You go out and you pick up a cigarette and you feel all this negativity and you don't smoke. Whoa. Well, it works in the same way with advertising, right? The reason sex sells is because everyone equates pleasure with sex. No matter what age we are, even if you haven't had sex yet, you equate pleasure with, with sex. And so it's, it's an emotion that is attach, attached to their product. You see their product and you go, oh, I like that product. I desire that product. You don't even know where that desire is coming from. Oh my. Here's an actual uh, campaign that Pepsi did uh, in the 80s. They wrote sex right on the side of the cans. So when they're stacked up in the store, you get that little subliminal right there. That's not coincidence, I highly doubt, right? Here, Skittles, that, that Skittle in front of the word explosion is not there by accident. Right? Here's a clip from, um, this is from the Iron Chef where there was a subliminal ad that made the news. Just for a second, it went red. Did you see it? When Eli slowed it down frame by frame, it turned out to be this McDonald's logo sandwiched in the Food Network show. McDonald's is an Iron Chef sponsor, but the Food Network and McDonald's say they weren't trying to broadcast a subliminal message. And so short, they're only seen by the subconscious. It's a flash frame that, that came up at the wrong time, but it's definitely not subliminal advertising. Right. Yeah. She's lying through her teeth, right? Because we got motive. I mean, right there. They even said McDonald's is an Iron Chef sponsor. Why wouldn't they do that? There's no such thing as, uh, oh, yeah, that frame was there on the shelf and it just landed on the keyboard and made it in the lineup somehow. Right? So, <clears throat> purpose. It was put there on purpose. Here was a... Uh, an episode of Smallville um, that uh, we found on YouTube that was another example of, of a subliminal ad. So this character crushes a cell phone and in that crush you see this little flash and if you slow it down frame by frame you get this little Sprint ad. Now, I don't know if that's a negative Sprint ad, maybe it's like crush Sprint, I don't know, you know, if, if, how that really works. but. Clearly, there's uh, uh, something they threw in there that you don't, you, you're not, you didn't consciously pick that up. Um, and a lot of people have tried to argue with this. You know, it's been proven that subliminal messaging doesn't really work. Well, you can find tons of research that says it does. And, I mean, these things, you, you think about movies and how detailed they are. Everything in the frame is there purposefully. And how many little details you do not pick up consciously. And you don't remember, but they're there. And, uh, and how are they affecting us? 
Um, this is a small little clip from a documentary called The Corporation where uh, they were looking at advertising and specifically advertising towards children. And the lady here that's talking works for a company called Initiative. They're the biggest advertising firm in the world. Um, they pay, place like $12 billion a year in advertising this, this uh, year that this documentary came out. I think it was 07. Um, so they're the biggest buyers of time, billboards, space, you know, whatever, to do, to do advertising for their clients. And um, they did this study called the nag factor. And it wasn't to help parents cope with the fact that their kids are nagging. It was how can we get the kids to nag for our products more effectively. That was the entire basis of the study. So they spent thousands and thousands, millions of dollars researching this to find out how to formulate the ads to get the kids to go, Mom, I want this, I want this. Because they found if the kids nag, nine times out of ten, eventually, they're going to go. They give in. The parents give in because they don't want their kids nagging all the time. So here's what she says about advertising. You can manipulate consumers into wanting and therefore buying your products. It, it's a game. It's a game. It's a game. It's a psychological game. I mean, you don't think about it, but you see a 30-second ad, and it's just a little 30-second ad, right? Well, millions of dollars and months of preparation and then a, two days of filming went into making that 30 seconds. And they've hired psychologists, and you name it, to figure out how do, we, how do we arrange this thing? How do we get this thing to just totally in, you know, capture the kids' minds? That's really what they're going for. So here's some facts. The average American household has 2.7 persons in it, and the number of TV sets is 2.9. So we got more TVs in this country than we do people. And I'm sure that number is from when we first did this. I'm sure that this was 2009 when we put this slide together, so it's probably even greater now. The average hours watched are uh, just over four hours, four hours nearly, uh, almost five hours a day. Um, that's 33 hours a week. Um, 142 hours a month, 2.4 solid months a year, and the number of ads that would be seen in that amount of time would be 25,000 ads just on television. And if you kept this average up over a 10-year period, you'd watch two solid years, right? That's not 9 to 5. That's 24-7 for two years. You can spread that. I mean, that's an education. That's a college education right there. And, and, and you know, we have, people are always constantly, I don't have any time. Right? So really, what are we spending our time doing? Because we're all given that one talent in equal proportion, are we not? Time. Time. And we can't take back the time we've wasted. But we can be diligent with the time we have. Amen. Amen? So uh, to move forward in that regard, the most advertised product on television, what do you think it is? Food, right? Healthy food. No. Oh no. Fast food is the number one advertised product on television. And we can see the evidence of that, right? Uh, the 60% uh, uh, or so obesity rate in America is nearly an epidemic. And then, of course, the right off the back of that, you got the second most advertised product. No? Alcohol. Alcohol is incorporated into it as part of it. Huh? No? Clean eating products. 
Snacks. Snacks. More TV. More TV. Cigarettes, alcohol, pharmaceuticals, drugs. Whoa. Okay? Are the second most advertised thing on television, right? I mean, they're popping up all the time. Do you, uh, you have a problem sleeping? Or you, 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 know, you have a problem staying awake? Or whatever it is, right? I got a drug for you, right? I mean, constantly. There's a new drug, Illustra, blah, blah, blah. There's a, right? All these, all these pharmaceuticals coming out. Why? Because the most advertised product on television is fast food, so people get sick. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, here's some uh, drugs to cover up the symptoms you're feeling because you're sick, right? And here we have the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. Wow. Stamping approval here on this food and then stamping approval here on this drug to cover up the symptoms you're experiencing from the food you're eating. Interesting. So, we uh, looked and you know, wanted to find an example of, of um, subliminal type of advertising. And here, um, this guy Darren Brown, he has a show called uh, Mind Control where this guy's a master hypnotist. I believe he's totally dabbling in the occult, even though in his shows he's totally trying to, he has lots of episodes where he's trying to debunk the occult, saying it's just tricks of, of, of hypnosis and this and that. But he's part of it. I mean, it's, it's, hypnosis came from the realm of the occult, so you can't separate that and use that to prove this isn't part of the occult. It's from it. So... Um, but he has an interesting uh, couple of episodes that we use as examples here. This one, he brings in two executives from Sarchi and Sarchi, a very well-known advertising firm in London. And he says, all right, guys, I want you to, you got 20, 20 minutes. You're going to come up with an ad campaign for a, a line of, a chain of taxidermy stores. And I want you to come up with a, some sort of image, uh, the name of the store, and a slogan. Okay, go. And he handed him an envelope before he left. He goes, here's some ideas that I had before, you know. We'll, don't look at them. We'll just we'll look, at, we'll look at these, uh, you know, when, when you guys are done. So here's him coming back into the room, looking at the ideas that they had come up with. And um, it's kind of interesting. Does that mean anywhere near it? No? Mm -mm. That's been under the raccoon. Yeah. First of all, obviously, this is a little unfair getting you to do this in 20 minutes. Uh, normally, you'd presumably, how long would you take with an average project? Would you get a few weeks? As long as possible. As long as possible. Okay. So this is obviously... The first things out of your head is just one idea or several ideas you've got? Like two or three ideas. Three. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. So, let's have a look. And then the store would be like out of Africa. You don't it's... like taxidermy, do you? <laughs> <laughs> just looking at the different components out of Africa. Yeah. Then it says Ezreal. The name of the company? Yeah. It's just as real as it gets. As real as it gets is the kind of the yeah. one. Yeah. And this would be like a big, that's great. And you've got yeah. the tears, so you've got a frightened kid. Yeah. yeah. And uh, are the others similar or very different? Uh, different, actually. Okay, same title. I love these, these are really great. And the, uh, as like a lizardy, dinosaur y kind of creature there. And you, what's this, a little one calling out mummy? It's so real that he thinks like, like mummy. So the little one's lost his mummy and uh, is crying. And uh, again, you've got as real as it gets down there as the strap line. Again, clearly don't like tax, don't they? No. <laughs> one more, just one more? Yeah. Okay, so something out of Africa, add some wild to your life. This is just the funny visual where like, uh, a granny or uh, older guy is driving home and he just went shopping at the store and he's got the lion in the back seat. What interests me most in this one is the fact that you've used a car, that you've used an automobile, which um, makes sense to you when you watch the show back, I think. I love these, these are great. I'm just, just 
just the kind of thing I was after, so thank you very much. I did have, you've got the envelope, uh, I did have a few ideas before, which I want to kind of throw into the mix as well and see what you think of those. So if you can uh, open that up for me. So, <laughs> should we show it? Yeah. So, look, by no means spot on. Actually, I'll, I'll put this up here. So, out of Africa, that's great. You've got that spot on. As real as you like. Uh, I've got here, but as real as it gets, which is, is pretty close. And you've gone for the lizard dinosaur creature later on in other yeah, pictures. It's but the you've second gone, one. Yeah. yeah, you've gone for the crying thing here. And you went for. Uh, Mommy. Mommy. Very similar. Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? <laughs> it feels like all the components are here. All the components from your different pictures are in this. Uh, polar bears as well. You didn't get polar bears at all? It yes. did in the last one, actually, yeah. Is that over we, there? We never, no, we never showed because we were like, well... We were not in that one. That was going to be a polar bear. So you've got... All right, yeah, that is, that is a terrible polar bear. <laughs> but, interestingly, the fact that you weren't able to draw it, to me, is interesting because yeah, I've got here polar bears to dinosaurs. On here, it's only a word, right? There is no picture, there's no visual. I'm not giving you a visual for polar bears, but you have written it. So, look, if you knew the amount of expense and time and effort we've gone into making this, this work with you guys, you'd be flabbergasted. But for now, it is, it's, a, it's a real comfort to know you're as susceptible to subliminal persuasion <laughs> as the rest of us. So, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. When you watch the show back, it will make glorious sense to you. Uh, <laughs> thank you. For now, I probably won't, but uh, I'll leave that with you for a moment. And, uh, yeah. Thank you very much indeed. See you Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Pretty impressive. He pretty much had like one piece of paper all the ideas we went through in the past 20 minutes. Uh, even with the name bang on and uh, with the tagline as well. Pretty, pretty close. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. If you're wondering how I managed to predict what the advertising executives were going to come up with, just watch their taxi journey again. Okay, so he went and picked these guys up. So he controlled their ride over to his office. And if you notice, there's just little things um, written in the background. Little, little posters that he put. There's out of Africa, just, you know, just things that were just pasted around um, on their drive. Um, on the top of the cab, it says as real as you like. And, you know, they're just picking this stuff up not realizing it on their way uh, to do this job. Whoa. And these guys are masters. This is what they do for a living. I mean, they, you know, polar bears on the t-shirts, right? Polar bears on the, on the, uh, the, mag the, the magazine the guy's reading on the corner. Um, um, all the way to where, here he gives him the, right there he gave him a subliminal for the crying thing. You saw I gave that little motion of tears coming down, running down his face. And he was saying that right when he said, you know, show me an image, uh, or write me, draw an image for the tax, chain of taxidermy stores. So this really begs the question. I mean, these guys are pros at what they do. They step into a room and they think that they came up with all these ideas. Oh, man. But they didn't. So that really begs the question, really, what, on a daily basis, what we think about it, are our thoughts our own? You know, are there things in our minds and things that we're thinking about that are, probably, that are possibly suggested to us? I mean, we're living in a time when it's advertising everywhere. I mean, you, you're going down the, the, the freeway like this, trying not to read all the billboards. 
Here's another episode where um, he uses a technique called neurolinguistic programming, NLP. How many of you have heard of NLP? Okay, it's a way of communicating a, uh, a subliminal message, as it were, through the act of um, uh, gestures or or small uh, body language uh, gestures, and uh, the person picks that that up. Like here's a here's a simple example. I like to surround myself with intelligent people. <laughs> but what did I just tell you? That I'm intelligent. Because when I touched myself right here, when I said the word intelligent. So that's a simple little uh, example of what NLP is. Here, he's, he's brought this uh, actor, Simon Pegg, onto his show. And he is, he is so clever the way he's done this. He basically sits him down and he tells him how he likes to buy gifts for people by convincing them to want what he's already got them. And he does that by... Um, and he's done a whole... There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of work that goes into this beforehand to get him set up for it, but... Basically, he's just touching him on the side of the arm. You'll notice they, they, they show it. He's touching him on the side of the arm, and they put the subtitles up on the screen so you can see where the emphasis is coming. So he's bringing emphasis to small parts of the words um, and, and things to bring about this alternate message that he's trying to get across to him of what he wants him to want for his, for his dream present. Okay? So here we'll let this play. Very nice to meet you, and thank you for coming on the show. Let me explain to you how I bite gifts or presents for people, alright? And this is the best way to handle, bar none, the, the, the problem of, you know, what to saddle for when you're going to buy gifts for somebody that's a little bit difficult to buy for, alright? Now what I do... Battery. Oh, I guess I never plugged that in. That'd be good, quick, plug it in. Oh. Alright. Gotta force quit this. And reopen it. One technical issue here, sorry, my fault. I laid that down here and I didn't plug it in. Yeah, I plugged it in up here and I didn't plug it in down there. What it says. Here, here it comes. Here it comes. Thank you for coming on the show. Let me explain to you how I bite gifts or presents for people, alright? And this is the best way to handle, bar none, the, the, the problem of, you know, what to saddle for when you're going to buy gifts for somebody that's a little bit difficult to buy for, alright? Now what I do is rather than recycle the same sort of two tired bottles of wine or, or box of chocolates, which are no fun to receive, I go out and I buy anything and then I make that person fall in love with it, alright? By creating a strong feeling of desire for that object. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah? And it absolutely works. They get all sort of pumped up, you know, they get that feeling of that positivity you were describing, they beam excitement for it. Um, and, you know, it's a win-win thing, because they get a present that they love, and, you know, I get rid of some stuff out the back of my kitchen cupboard, or whatever. But what I want you to really understand about this is that that feeling is so strong, can be so extreme, that it can replace 
the memory of what they actually wanted. So even though two days before they may have said, I want X, whatever that is, you know, like a really nice car, like a BM or an Xbox or something like that, something they really wanted, suddenly now they think they always wanted what I got them. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Excellent. Cool. Good. So, you can have anything you like. What's your dream present? The BMX bike. All right? Wow. Oh, yeah, look at the seat. Yeah. It, 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 all the imagery in the room, everything, right, is, is, is screaming BMX bike, right? And what color? Red. And that's what he says. He goes, what color do you want? He goes, I want a red one. He takes him over to a box, opens up, there's a red BMX bike. He's like, I can't believe this. This is like a childhood dream. I've always wanted a BMX bike. Wow. And he goes, now, can you remember what you actually wanted? And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, when I asked you to come on the show, I said to write down what your dream present was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought that with me in the little envelope. You told me to write it down. I have it right here, sealed. The date he wrote it down, he's like, well, open it up. And he opens it up. And he looks at it, and it says leather jacket. <laughs> and he goes, leather jacket? I don't want a leather jacket. I want a BMX bike. That's my handwriting. And he was totally kind of creeped out because he couldn't actually remember that he originally wrote down leather jacket. So again, this begs the question, living in these last days, is Satan have a tool that is so powerful that he's actually attempting to replace a belief system in such a manner that we forget what we originally believed? Right? Harvey Weinstein's an executive producer in Hollywood. has said, they, the movies, have given Americans acceptance of things I don't think they would have embraced. Maybe they were tricked into it by an exciting marketing campaign, but when they came out, they came out different. He knows, and they know, that this thing is powerful in terms of change and changing the collective mindset of the, of the world, really. Um, the writer of uh, the movie The Mission, David Putman, he said, movies are powerful, good or bad, they tinker around inside your brain, they steal up on you in the darkness of the cinema to form or conform social attitudes in short, cinema is propaganda. Whoa. It's propaganda. And people want to argue it's entertainment. Just, ah, it's just entertainment. Is it just entertainment? Right? That's the question. Entertainment. If you look at the root of the word, there, there's three words that make up the word entertainment. Enter means to come in. Tain is a state of or uh, to possess. And meant, or, uh, meant is a state of, actually, uh, or to keep. So basically, the word means to come in, possess, and keep in a state of possession. Entertainment. Who speaks Spanish? What's the Spanish word for entertainment? What does that mean? Enter. Yeah. Then break it down. No, break it down, though. What do, the, what do those words mean? To have. And what's miendo? Come in and lie to me. Right? Right? Make belief. They call it make belief. Oh, it's just make belief. But look at, listen to what that is. Make believe. Right? They're trying to make you believe something that is not true. I mean, that's, that's, it's interesting the terms that are used. Here is an ad um, for the, the big online service called Hulu. I'm sure some of you, a lot of you have seen these ads. Um, and this is them just laughing in our face, really. I, I really hope this commercial uh, um, 
upsets you in a way because um, yeah. you see you see how how blatant these guys are, and here it is, man. They're telling the truth right here. Watch this. Hello, Earth. I'm Alec Baldwin, TV star. You know they say TV will rot your brain. <laughs> That's absurd. TV only softens the brain like a ripe banana. You know, the next time someone says TV rots your brain, laugh. Laugh hard. That laughter will force our televised intoxicant into your cerebellum, slowly rotting it into a quivering blob of tapioca. I don't know why it's all glitchy like this, sorry. Um, isn't that interesting though? He says the next time someone tells you TV rots your brain, laugh. Laugh hard. Because what did he say? That will what? See, some of you didn't catch it, huh? He said it'll drive our televised intoxicants deeper into your mind. When you laugh. Because when you laugh, you agree. That's what, right? Someone tells you a joke, the reason you laugh is because, okay, yeah, I agree with that, that's funny. You're accepting it, you laugh. Interesting. Oops, sorry. Your parents were right, your teachers were right, even that creepy scoutmaster with the tight brown shorts was right. TV is slowly rotting your brain and turning it into a slimy, gooey, mushy blob of pudding and there's nothing you can do about it. See, I just told you what was happening and you're still watching TV. Amazing. I'm Eliza Dushku, star of the new show Dollhouse. It's a potent blend of twisty plot lines and insane action that'll keep your eyes glued and your brain rotting, as your high school teacher used to say. <laughs> Mushy mush. <laughs> and the best part is there's nothing you could do to stop it. I mean, what are you going to do, turn off your TV and your computer? <laughs> now that we're beaming TV shows to your lab-based computing boxes for free, 24-7, they're finally rotting your brains, just like mom promised they would. So keep watching. The sooner your brains have percolated into bubbly, cheesy goo, the sooner we can slurp them through your ear canals and pass them through our lower intestines. Because we're aliens, and that's what we do. Hulu, an evil plot to destroy the world. Enjoy. You guys seen those? Right? The whole basis of all the ads is that everybody in Hollywood, all the way down to the PA, the production assistant who's paid $100 a day, are aliens. They're from another planet and they're here to soften the brain through the medium of television and movies so that they can consume our brains. I mean, do we not believe that there are, there are aliens here, yes. on the grounds, right? Spirits that are not from this place, messing with us. And look at their plot line, an evil plot to destroy the world. Enjoy. 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 Oh man, I want to go watch that. <laughs> Interesting. Harry Potter, he has this little uh, wand in his hand, right? Does anybody uh, know what his wand was made out of? No, no good. <laughs> Someone pointed this out to me in the books. Um, he goes into this little occult shop and to pick his wand, and he picks the wand, and the wand picks him. This whole little magical thing happens when he picks his wand. But the wand that he picked was made out of the wood holly. And holly is one of the sacred woods in witchcraft. They all have these different meanings. Holly is associated with the cycle of death and rebirth, representing winter winning over summer. It's good for spells that involve sleep or rest. So basically, uh, you know, you eat enough of these berries, you go to sleep permanently, right? They're, the holly berries are poisonous. And um, interesting. 
So we live in this time where we've got this town right over here, not too far from us, called Hollywood. And could it be possible that it is a wand in the hand of Lucifer attempting to put to sleep the minds of God's children? Right? Putting us to sleep. Is it possible that Satan has a remote control? He's controlling us from a distance. He can't directly get us to sin, right? But he can suggest allurements to sin. So, and sense control us from a distance. I mean, look at what he did in the garden, right? With the serpent. The serpent became what we call now a medium, right? Isn't it interesting today we live in a time where we have the mass media and we change the channels. Isn't that what mediums do? They channel, right? Spirits. It's interesting just the terms that are that used to describe this industry. Um, the Matrix is the most preached about film of all time. Uh, uh, a sci-fi film. More sermons have been um, centered around The Matrix. Um, as, part, as the great controversy books have been written here, the Bible, uh, Matrix, the Gospel Reloaded, uh, the Matrix Revealed, right? The Theology of the Matrix. These are all Christian books. Wow. Interesting. There's, uh, you know, there's a scene where Neo, the, the Savior, dies. There's a crucifixion-type scene. He comes back to life. I, I mean, went the, to the Warner The whole thing, I'm going to skip that, that clip of him because we're real short on time here. I'm just going to get to the end. This is the last scene of the film, and when you really look into the whole thing, um, it's a Gnostic version of the Great Controversy. How many are familiar with Gnosticism? Okay, it's an inverted, it's called inverted hermeneutics. Okay, it's interpreting the Bible upside down, essentially. And you say, in the Gnostic tradition, Yahweh is the creator, yes, but he is not the only God. He is a lower level son of another lower level deity, and he created the world to be evil. He created it to be physical and not spiritual. And then, so then Satan becomes the Logos. He becomes the Savior who came to this earth to enlighten us all that we are God. That's Gnosticism, all right? So it flips it upside down and on its head. But when we see these films as a Christian, we look at the Savior, we look at the, the Savior character in the film, right? And line him up with Christ. Because that's what we believe, that the Savior is Christ. But not them. That's Lucifer, not Christ. God is the Matrix. For those of you who have not seen the film, it's set in the future and computers have taken over the world and, and enslaved mankind. And the Matrix is this ginormous computer that, that grows people in these pods just to sap a little energy out of them, just to get a little uh, electricity because man tried to block out the sun uh, to, to keep the machines from using their solar panels, blah, blah, blah. It's this whole sci-fi thing, right? So... Here, in the end of the first film, Neo, the savior of the story, is picking up the payphone and he's talking to the Matrix. And it's Lucifer talking to God. And listen to what he says. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone. And then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there, 
is a choice I leave to you. Okay, did you get that? Yeah. What do you say? I'm going to show them a world without what? Rules. Without rules, without you. Isn't that Satan's whole thing, right? And then here he, he uh, uh, ascends. This is the last, the last image of the movie. He ascends up into the, into the heaven. <laughs> Flies up. So, interesting. Um, and, and there's many articles and things in our, in our Gnostic uh, Gospel DVD. It goes more into depth on that. Um, Thor. Same thing, man. All these superhero movies. This is sympathy for the devil. All right? And I know our time is short. Are we out? Should I? Uh, let's see. I think there's only just a couple more slides. Four minutes. Okay. So this is just from the uh, preview uh, from the movie. And, I mean, he, look at where this scene is taking place. Who is Thor? Look at this. I have sacrificed much to achieve peace. Thor, through your arrogance and stupidity, you have opened these peaceful realms and innocent lives to the horror and devastation of war. You are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. And you are an old man and a fool! You're unworthy! Father. I now take from you your power! Open your eyes. Oh, no, this is Earth, isn't it? Where'd he come from? Where'd he come from? Like a lightning bolt fell to the Earth. Right? And he's the Savior of... This is sympathy for the devil, right? Transformers, same thing. You got these... You got this battle between two types of robots, right? And listen to the preview again. It starts where? Right? In the heavens, right? There was a war in heaven. Before time began, there was the cube. We know not where it comes from, only that it holds the power to create worlds and fill them with life. That is how our race was born. For a time, we lived in harmony. But like all great power, some wanted it for good, others for evil. And so began the war. Right? A war in heaven war takes in place. Alright? Now, it's interesting. What were the two sides called? We got the Decepticons and the Autobots. Who are the good guys? The Autobots. Those who are operating on their own. And the Decepticons, those who are here to deceive us. And remember, this is a Gnostic telling of the great controversy so it's God and his angels are the Decepticons and Lucifer Optimus Prime and his angels are the Autobots and listen to what he says must take place to end the war because in the beginning it said in the beginning there was the cube no one knew where it came from but it had the power to what? create and fill it with life so who was the cube? The cube's God, right? So look at what he says here at the end of the uh, first film. To have peace, here's what we got to do. Freedom is the right of all sentient beings. 
You all know there's only one way to end this war. We must destroy the cube. Right? Must destroy the cube. Imagery is everything. The cube is God. The cube is the thing that could make worlds and, and fill it with life. That's, that's what it was said right in the beginning, right? It said no one knows where the cube came from, but it could create worlds and fill them with life. So to achieve peace, to end this war that started in the heavens, we must destroy the cube. And think about the imagery of a cube. What's the shape of the New Jerusalem? It's a cube. Isn't that interesting? And this is, I mean, the more we look at it, basically Hollywood, it's, it's, it's referred to as predictive programming. It's programming everybody to react in the way the characters react under this circumstance. And they're just telling it to us in these different genres and in the future and in the past and this and that, but it's just tinkering with our belief in the great controversy and how we align those things. Yeah. And our children, are walking, I mean, their, their minds are so... So susceptible. They're just soaking it up. Yeah. 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 In the next talk, I will. So here's my last slide for right now. We'll take a break. Ephesians 6.12. I mean, no, for, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, brothers, what? Put on what? The whole armor of God. Amen. And you know what the, what the armor represents? Who said it? Jesus. Every aspect of the armor represents Jesus, does it Amen. not? Amen. Right? Who's our salvation? The helmet. It's, it's Christ. It's, is it my righteousness? The breastplate? No, it's Christ's righteousness. It's, it's the belt of truth. Who's the truth? It's Christ. I am the truth, the way, and the life. We shod our feet with the gospel of peace. It's Jesus who is guiding our footsteps. And in our hand we have the sword. Right? The Word of God. Christ is the living Word. And the shield of faith. Faith in who? Jesus. It's all Christ. So... Um, May we take to heart some of these things here. Let me close with a, a quick word of prayer, and then we'll take a, a short break, and we'll, we'll start into the next section here. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we contemplate the things that, that we've exposed ourselves to, Lord, I've watched a ton of these movies, and Lord, I just I pray that you disentangle the, the inverted hermeneutic message that Satan is trying to place within each of our minds so strongly that we actually forget what we originally believed. Lord, let us understand the true purpose of the great controversy, the true ending of the great controversy, and how we are to be a part of that end. And it's all about vindicating your character, Lord. And it's all about a character development that you are, are wanting to grow within each one of us and perfect us and bring us back, reinstate us back to the image that you created us to. So Lord, I ask you send your Holy Spirit to be with us. Guide us. Lord, help us to guide, guard well the avenues to the soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.